0: You made a really left field field recording record. I think that's a good way of talking about your record. It's, it's almost, for lack of a better term, a post-field recording record in the sense that it consists of field recordings that are oftentimes edited in such a way as to not exist in a linear timeline. And part of the logic of timelines in field recording is that everything is vérité. You know everything is straight, recorded as it happened, and that's what's unique about it. But in a sense, you're you're turning that logic on its head, and saying this is what everyday life sounds like. We've just I've just rearranged it to sound more like it
1: actually is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Control, yeah, controlling controlled sound. Right. It's controlled. I think there's, a. have always been, a, a, a. See, there's always this, uh, there's a lot of sides to producing, but there's, there's the one type of producer that, that is capturing things and wants it to sound as natural as possible. Oh, so boring. Is, yeah, yeah, I know. Which is a specific, like, don't change it. And my mentor when I was young, as you know, is Juma Sultan. And he would, right, when I was 14, he, all he would talk about is no overdubbing, no, uh, you know, his whole uh, concept of recording is Uh, I diverted from to say the least, but, but his whole thing was like, like talk about socialism and stuff like that. That's his, his, the way he made music was like, absolutely like no scores, you know, all improvisation, no overdubbing. You have to get the mics right. You have to get it set up right before you even start recording. And um, that's something that I, I, I took that from from him later on, and only now am I actually at the point where I hardly ever overdub actually ever, except for this record was one of, what I mean by overdubbing, um, that means I don't go back and add another layer, but I capture the sound as it is. I might uh, combine them and whatnot, but I'm not going back to to finish a piece of uh, music. Does, Does that make any sense?
0: Sure. In in a sense, overdubbing on this record works as a way to make reality sound more natural.
1: Right. I mean, this is uh this goes back to um, a great book called Audiovisual by a French writer on cinema. It's an it's an exceptional book, I think, about sound actually, but it's actually a book for filmmakers. I'll send you a link. There's a lot of like factors to that, but, but one of the ideas about film is that, you know, t- to make a film, it's, it's the exact same thing. You know, it's good you put, brought that out. To make a film, you capture things and then you're essentially, um, I think it was uh, Kubrick who said this, you're filming a dramatization of a dramatization. Like you go several steps back actually, rather than forward towards a natural, like, you know, whatever goes, goes, right? I think uh, documentary filmmakers probably get a, a real sense of this when they, because they're, they're dealing with chaos, chaotic uh, materials, things that are uh, uh, unpredictable, right? So if you're doing a, a film with, in a documentary setting, right? And so what we're doing uh, with field recordings, just the sound in itself is very similar. It's like, it's, it's hard to predict what's gonna happen Especially the battleground sounds uh, records because we're doing stuff in places that are unpredictable and anything could pop off at any moment and that was sort of the idea. And what do we capture while while we're doing that?
0: I think you're right. I mean, I think that that's the. It's not just the battlegrounds approach, but it's a way of capturing how things happen um, in everyday life that are as often ignored. Uh, most field recording records are attempts to capture an orderliness in nature right. that that we ignore because we're more oriented towards civilization rather than wilderness. You know? That's so you the premise
1: that. of every fucking field recording record. Yeah, and I mean, it's like I dig it, but it's enough already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's been reproduced to death as an aesthetic strategy towards capturing um, natural sounds as it were sounds that are not and when we speak of natural sounds what I think as a recordist like you is sounds that are not composed not sounds that are about waterfalls or dolphins or I,
1: I did feel like composing though within this particular recording it's just I had it's more like these are captured events, you know. And then you, when you once you get all that, which is always what I've done in Badawi records or whatever, it was uh, capturing events or moments of recording. So I, I would sit down with the drum, and I'd be feeling a particular thing, and that would become the premise for the song, you know, uh, for, for a track. But I would, I wouldn't be doing scraps. I'm actually using those recordings. So the microphone, the the uh, the microphone and me you know you you, i i've had to slowly become as you i'm sure you know and some people are like this with cameras but it it became a part of me
0: you are a microphone
1: yeah yeah i mean like i i started to understand that my ears would tell me exactly where to put a microphone if i just imitate my ears to that mic and really things that that generally people think are like all weird but they're not they're they're exactly as you should because um you know, if you're a painter or you're a photographer or anything like that, or you're a, a soldier, even, you know, you have to be one with the uh, instrument that you, that's in your hand. You, that's what they train you. They tell you, that, you know, that you have to really sleep with with it, you know, and, and hold on to whatever it is that you're using, which is the tool that you're using. But, um, but yeah, I think also the spaces I was going in for these recordings was also extremely, <laughs> extremely uh spontaneous and how the fuck you know how are we going to get out of there so one's a beehive and the other you know underground um mines and tunnels in portugal and europe and graz and all these spaces you know they're all volatile you know (laughs) weren't you underneath hitler's
0: house for one of the
1: it was a bunker where there was all these uh where the graz festival they have a music festival there called i remember i think it's elevate festival um, and yeah, by there, there's the sections where apparently Hitler, uh, stashed, you know, um, goods as towards the end of the war, but we have to learn a little more about it, but that's what they told me. So I went down there and I was filming. I, I mean, I didn't film much. I recorded just the, the, the reverb of the space. And that, at that point, it was around the time that I was doing the Porto project, the project in Portugal, uh, tunnel vision. And so, um, I was really obsessed with the idea of, of grabbing, most importantly, um, resonances, so to make convolution reverbs. So that was my my concept was, because, you know, a convolution reverb, you can take the, the space, literally, you know, the acoustical space of, of a place and create a reverb out of it and, and mimic it. So, and the way you do that is, well, you could go into a church and you could shoot it off a gun. I would hope you do, wouldn't do that, but if you did that, and you recorded it. The gun, I say a gun because it makes an impact that's very, very, uh, very easy to see. You see that and then it would give a long tail. It's also a very short sound, gunshot. The rest, the gun the gun itself makes a sound about this big and the rest is reverb that you can take. And then you, when you sample off, it takes off the first initial attack, you throw that into a convolution reverb and voila, you're creating a uh, a reverb out of that space. So how those convolution reverbs work. So so I was like started thinking, oh well, well we can go to haunted spaces. It was almost like a cross between a science fiction story in my head idea, but doing it in real life. So you know, uh, but like actually doing it. So so we so then I we went to Portugal. And, and that was really where a lot of the shit was like, what's the most haunted spaces you could fucking possibly find in Portugal? And, uh, and then they came up with this. And so we then uh, contacted the city. Actually, Jonathan Uliel Saltana, my partner in Portugal. Um, he contacted the city. He did all of that. He fucking, you know, set up, got us the rights to go down to these uh, really dangerous places. I mean, uh, we almost died a few times going in there. It was insanely impossible to move around and stupid really of us to go in there but the city gave us permission as long as we didn't do it after certain hours but of course we did and we ended up you know breaking the rules left and right and we were in there all night you know sometimes over like almost till three four in the morning sometimes so so yeah exactly like the whole uh, concept of field recording has always been about nature Look let's, uh, sh- let's see how powerful nature is let's see how uh, let, let's let's show ourselves just how little we know by recording this forest that's usually the kind of the back the backstory in a lot of field recorders' minds right you know or or are we trying to find the uh the similarities across the world are we trying to find some universal harmony all this stuff that 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 uh yeah, i'm sure it's there i just
0: yeah, in that sense, Sonic ontology is an anti-field recording record in the sense that it... Anti-harmony. It, yeah, it wants to reproduce bad vibes. And uh, and it, it, I mean, there's there's a lot of sinister bad feeling on the record that really accurately approximates the sense of dread that a lot of us have felt over the last two years of the pandemic. Uh, You have sounds which very much evoke death. You have sounds which very much evoke decay. You have sounds which very much evoke systemic social collapse. And that's why I think sonic ontology has a kind of staying power and a social relevance that other field recording records lack especially the more popular nature-based versions that we're used to uh, consuming listening to people like George Vlad you know he doesn't make records but he's the most popular social excuse me he's the most popular field recordist on social media
1: Uh, Um, I gotta get Chris Watson to get get his uh get his foot in the door there and yeah
0: and then there's Chris Watson who Chris Watson is sort of a a borderline figure in this regard. And so far as what Chris Watson does is um, Mm -hmm. uh, coming from, I think, a punk background, he's more attuned to the dark side. And so he anticipates that uh, the volcano recording field recordists of today, who by placing his mics underneath the ocean and recording Mm -hmm. these sort of titanic ambient sounds that kind of make you feel nauseous.
1: I liked his, um, the one with the vultures, it was uh, eating a carcass, you know, very, oh, yeah, yeah. So that that's exactly right. I mean, I, I also though, I al- always came to field recording through, I think a different reasoning, I would say probably than, than them. I, I, probably you and I are similar in that regard. Like Like it's always been about politics, something happening at the moment, oh, shit, I better record that. It's, it's A lot of the time it's been natural, uh, natural uh, human-related things I'm recording.
0: Yeah, they're, they're colloquial as opposed to
1: extraordinary recordings. Yeah, yeah. But I also was, I in a way, I was inspired a long time ago when I was much younger, as I'm sure all of us were, by field recorders who recorded music in different countries. And there was one recordist, uh, again, another person I got to, Remember their name, French recordist who did a lot of the tangent records, I think, music of Islam or things like that. One of uh, Bedouins shooting off rifles. That was one of the best recordings. Actually, that's not actually, that's from Algeria. There's a one from Algeria and they're shooting off rifles, riding the horses. And so there's a little music in the background, but it's really the guns, you know. And and that's that's something clicked to me. I think I was pretty young when I heard that, maybe sixteen or something, or seventeen or something. And uh, yeah, I, I just drew right towards those gunshots. How amazing that this guy's recording gunshots! Not so much how amazing that he's recording Bedouins playing, uh, you know, reeded instruments in the desert. Yeah, okay, big deal. But you got those gunshots, you know, and um, it made me think. Well some things are planned and some things are not. Like sometimes they would have weddings in the Bronx and they would shoot off guns. The Albanians would, would uh, they have this like one time where the police are like, all right, you know they have to like close off the area. <laughs> they don't do that anymore but it used to be something that would happen in the 80s and stuff. I mean, I'm just sort of running a lot. My, my mind gets filled so with ideas when I think about field recording. Like for instance, uh, when you record, like let's say you're in a, you're an investigative journalist. You're in a very uh, dangerous area. Suddenly a bomb goes off, right? God forbid, right? And so a bomb goes off, a building is decimated. Everyone's running, screaming, like like me. Uh, this is something I learned in 9-11. 9-11, the second plane came in, I saw that. I was, I was right on uh, Houston. I was pretty, I saw the whole thing. I even went towards the whole thing as the, the buildings went down. When the buildings went down, there was no sound. No one heard anything. Anyone you speak to didn't hear a goddamn thing. No one could tell you what it sounded like. Yeah. Because what was what we were seeing turned off those, uh, those parts of the senses. It's true. And so no one even knew what it sounded like until they came back to recordings. And then um, people would like, wow, you know, you hear the screams, but no one heard that. I, 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 know, I don't know anyone who, who even can say what they heard when that shit went down, especially someone involved in sound as much as we are. So when a bomb goes off, does it matter if you have a really great, uh, you know, are you using the chef's microphones? Are you, do that? you know, so there's that way of, there's that way of recording, having the best recording uh, equipment possible, setting it up, getting everything prepared. And then you got us, in which case we're jumping into something. We don't, we're not going to run around with a mic with a big fur ball on it. We're gonna be fucking, you know, uh, we, we need to get out, get in, get out fast, things like that. I couldn't go into the tunnels in New York City with, a, with a, a bunch of equipment. I mean, I can't even believe I just did that. That was a, God, it was already a year ago when I did some of those tunnel recordings and I went in with. I remember uh,
0: when you get them, yeah.
1: But honestly, my boys canceled too. I, I was doing uh, two the last two trips I did completely on my own. I thought of bringing my son, but I was like, no, that's a bad idea. So you know, I was going into uh, I, w- I was going over to uh, City Hall, climbing down, then going down the tracks because there's a part down there where the trains don't go, and I did a lot of the recordings down there. But you know, I can't; it's it's not legal, you know. <laughs> so, but anyway, it, it really brings up a really interesting uh, uh, case for lo-fi and high fidelity recording, and the idea of production and what exactly is good production and bad production. See, the mistake that England has made is that they only have one form. They only know how to produce as producers and they can only do it in that way. So they have, at at this point, England has gone so much in producing, they're probably the old school producers that they have too much of a formula that they have lost all sense really of really how to get something to sound really fucking rough or really fucking noisy. And only, and New York really knows how to do that. And, 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 uh, and interestingly enough, I realized, so do Palestinians. Like there's a actual, there's a something to do with noise. And once you've been in noise so long and so much and surrounded by just feedback and everything, you know, you can't fake it, you know what I mean? So if when I hear a certain record, they're supposed to be noisy, They're coming out of England, they're way, way too produced. They're not noisy, they're always tuned, they're not dissonant. So uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there's all these different schools of producing and there's all these different ideas as to what is good and what is bad and all this bullshit that really eventually start to learn is all bullshit but at the same time isn't you know it's so bizarre so so like for instance if someone's saying oh that i really like lo-fi hip hop right It's like what the fuck does that mean right and so then suddenly like i start getting students who want to make lo-fi hip hop and they're using like 700 800 dollar daws to make lo-fi hip hop right it's not about low fidelity it's actually about less to do right more there's less to do here and there's more to do with the system itself and the sound system and everything else and, and, and it's more about how, how, how are we pushing those things out into the speakers, not about us and our um, <clears throat> ideas about what sounds good and what sounds bad. I couldn't sit in a tomb, like when we went into Porto into, the tomb, into those, those mines, there are 5,000 year old mines in Porto. Called Falango. And uh, they were uh, captured from the Phoenicians by the Romans. So they've been, they're probably older than that. There's, uh, when you're walking in there, it's pitch black. We had to make our own generators. There's water up to our, like, base almost to our, you know, above our ankles. You know, we're, we're stepping in water. So we're holding generators. So yeah, we didn't have much recording equipment. We had our cameras, which you can hardly see anyway. I had my field recorder down there and we're holding generators. And it's just like, it's nuts, you know? And then batteries are running out and all the stupid shit that that happens when everyone's a pothead and and you got a lot of, you know crazy punk rockers trying to do some stupid shit, right? And so what happens is that despite that, you know um, some things definitely didn't work. I'm like, no, I didn't get that. There's no way I could have with that microphone in that space and too bad, you know? And then other things, whoa, I never could have gotten that. If I had really expensive equipment, there's no way I wouldn't even done that project. I wouldn't brought those stuff, those things down there. I wouldn't have lasted. You know, in New York City, I would have got caught. I'm surprised I didn't, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I was at the, uh, that was I went to Canal at one point to record with the VR, I had a, the, the VR um, microphone, the Zoom, which is actually kind of not very noticeable. So that's cool but it's a weird looking thing. Like you can't act like it's a phone. That's usually my process is I hold the field recording uh, equipment like that. Like I'm talking on the phone. If I'm feel like people are noticing me and that, or, I'm, or I'm texting, yeah. you know, I'll do like that. Like I do that in Grand Central Station, I'm texting. <laughs> so, cause it looks like a phone, especially the one you have, that smaller one. I saw that you are getting uh, I'm trying to hone in an idea here is that, yeah, this idea of what is, high fidelity recording, which is obviously field recorders are obsessed with. They have to have the best quality because they're going to record some oceans and everything's cool. You know what I mean? Like, but, but in this context, you can't really, right. You all you can do is set your, set your settings to the highest and hope for the best. And the rest is up to the space you're in.
0: What's different is that the quality of the sounds that you're actually being exposed to, they're not broadcast with the same fidelity by the external world that going and standing on a beach might give you. Yeah, and it's the inside of an MTA tunnel is not going to sound as good as staring at the Pacific in Monterey. You know, it's just a different oral experience.
1: It's very true, and uh, you know, I think when people hear the sound of an ocean they're getting drawn to several things that are always human reasonings for the reason the reason why they want to listen to the sound of an ocean is really for selfish reasons so you know because i want to relax or you know, the ocean is not relaxing that shit will tear you a fucking apart if, if it wants to and 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 all your children will die you know a horrible death if they were left in there and i've almost drowned several times i hate you know i never want to be in it. In the position of that, you know, uh, so uh, so yeah, I admire things like that. With there's a gunshot going off, in the with, you know, along with the bedouin, those type of things are that's that's reality. I mean, that's the reality I live in. And so, you know, I I, um, I, I I'm sure at one on one day I'll 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 move to Montenegro, like we've been talking, and I'll sit around and record birds and stuff like that, trying to figure out why they're what they're saying to each other and, and what are the rhythms that they're in, and, and start notating it and then write classical music based off of it. But you know, it's been done. Messian <laughs> did it, you know. Apparently you can do that and still be anti-Semite. It doesn't fucking matter. So fuck it.